0: As of December 27th, 2023, over 20,000 Palestinians have been killed in Gaza, Palestine. This episode of Faith in Fine Print with Muhammad Habba was recorded originally on October 30th, but due to logistical and technical difficulties, could not be released until now. We apologize. Please pray for the people of Palestine as you listen to this episode. Hey everyone, peace be upon you. Assalamu alaikum. This is Nihal Khan back with another episode of Faith in Fine Print. This one a bit more timely, a bit more difficult for a lot of us to stomach. For those of us who are watching what is unfolding in Palestine, as we are seeing our brothers and sisters in Gaza and in the West Bank now being slaughtered completely without any regard for life, completely without any regard for their safety, completely without any regard for the fact that the majority of those that are being killed are children. I want to shortly bring on a guest of ours. We're going to have Muhammad Habba from uh, American Muslims for Palestine. And uh, I wanted to play a clip that many of you may have seen recently. This was... um, uh, Muhammad actually getting uh, arrested at the Senate Foreign Relations uh, uh, Israeli Ambassador Confirmation hearing where um, he made a stand. He protested. He did the most American American thing you can do, uh, but they hauled him away instead. So let's take a look at that clip shortly before we bring him onto stage.
1: Games. We need to make sure that the other nations and terrorist groups do not—, exp- no, not the time play political games?
0: So that was Muhammad Habba who we're going to be bringing uh, to the stage. as alaikum Muhammad. Wa alaikum
1: wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How's it going? Uh-huh.
0: I am good. How are you doing, man?
1: It's, um, it's been a long few weeks.
0: It's been a long few weeks. Can you tell people a little bit about yourself, what you do?
1: Yes. So for, for those of you who um, have heard of American Muslims for Palestine. Uh, I work with uh, American Muslims for Palestine, which is a national organization based here in the United States, based in Washington, DC. We have 12 chapters nationwide, and uh, as an organization, we are dedicated to advancing the movement for justice in Palestine here in the US. Our work consists of education, advocacy, and uh, grassroots mobilization. Many of you guys may have participated in some of the events we've done We've brought in hundreds of thousands of people to the streets all over the country in the past few weeks, including here in Washington DC, in New York, in Chicago, in Los Angeles, and cities all over the nation. Um, As an organization, we're proud to uh, lead the Muslim community and be the the lone Muslim uh, organization in the Palestine solidarity space. Um, As as, uh, my role with the organization, uh, I'm the director of development, and I my my job is p- uh, basically going around the country, working with grassroots communities, uh, getting them to engage in our work and, and, and building membership around the country.
0: Now, um, yeah. coming back to what we were just speaking about in regards to the Senate Foreign Relations Israeli Ambassador Confirmation Hearing, um, you know, a lot of people saw that. A lot of people, I think... Um, commended you f- for that because of the fact that our government is not listening even though the majority of the world understands and sees the atrocities of what is happening in 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 Palestine in Gaza uh, to the Palestinian people and not only that it's been something that you know is ongoing has been ongoing people have been rooted but until history you know dictates to us it's it's gotten to such a point where and, and I don't like comparing atrocities and genocides, but we're at the point where, in comparison to Bosnia, where 8,000 plus people were murdered in the, uh, in the span of a week, we're, we're at that number and we're probably going to surpass that number, yet the entire world is quiet. Um, why do you think that the world is just looking away? Like, is it something that is our problem or is there propaganda that we're being put forward to ourselves? Are we not humans? Like, what do you like? What do you see the root cause of that as?
1: I mean, I I honestly wouldn't say that the world is looking away. I think the world is watching. I think the world knows who the oppressor is and they know who the oppressed is. I think the world sees what is going on and they're not afraid to call it out. That's why we're seeing so many mass mobilizations. You know, I talked about the United States. But in other countries around the world, in Paris, in London, in Istanbul, in countries all over the world, we're seeing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people hit the streets, call for justice, call for peace for the people of Palestine, for the people of Gaza. So I think the world knows what's going on and they're openly calling it out. And I think in the past week, we've seen democratic countries around the world. Uh, start to openly call for a ceasefire. We're seeing European nations, we're seeing the UN. They're all openly calling for a ceasefire because they're horrified by the atrocities that are taking place, by the 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 un the unnecessary damage to civilian infrastructure, the the countless number of innocent people who are being murdered. Just today, uh, just today, uh, Save the Children USA. Uh, came out with a uh, statement talking about how more children have been killed in the current attack on Gaza than have been killed in every single conflict, every single conflict in the past three years. Now, this isn't a Palestine organization. This isn't a Muslim or Arab organization. It's another human rights organization that is dedicated to children that's coming out and saying that the amount of children being killed doesn't make sense. So we're, when we're talking about what's going on in Gaza, the majority of people killed so far. We said 8,000 people have been killed. 3,500 of them are children and, and more. Uh, over 2,000 of them are women. That's, that's more than half of the people who've been killed. And I think that the world sees this and the world understands this. But where where is the problem? Where is the disconnect? The disconnect comes in, in one place. And, and I think this is the major problem that we see. The disconnect is with the governments of certain countries, starting with the United States. The disconnect is with President Biden. The disconnect is with the United States Senate. The disconnect is with the United States House, uh, where we're seeing right now only a handful of members of Congress are even calling for a ceasefire. There was a, a bill, a resolution that came out a few weeks ago where, only, as of now, only 15 people are, are signed on, if, if I'm not mistaken. So that's where the disconnect is. That's
0: where our problem is. But then here's the other question that comes up. Uh, In that UN resolution, right, it was like a handful of really interesting countries like Croatia, for example, Mm
1: -hmm. or
0: like America, or Papua New Guinea. I'm just curious, um, when, when we talk about, for example, Again, looking at the way America responded to Ukraine and Russian aggression, looking at how America responded in the 90s towards Bosnia, why is it so difficult to just say that children are being killed? The majority of people who you're calling terrorists are just children. Like, why? Why is that? Like what is, and, and I say this as us, a lot of us that are born and raised in America, we pay American taxes, but yet that voice that we try to give to the Palestinian people in Palestine who are dying just falls on deaf ears.
1: I don't think, I, I, I think that, I think that when we're, we're talking about the, that disconnect right now, I think they know it's wrong. I, and, and I think they have a hard time accepting it. I will say, though, that th- there are some other factors that we see in this. The first one is Islamophobia. Islamophobia is a, a huge problem in the United States. Many of us may have thought it was dying down. But I think in, in recent weeks, we've seen with the murder of, of wadia the six-year-old Palestinian child who was killed in Chicago, we're seeing that there is still that level of Islamophobia you know with the rumors and and the propaganda that came out in in the beginning of uh, of the of, of this situation we uh, we saw a lot of people a lot of people come out and say these these this this propaganda say propaganda that was islamophobic was anti-arab the the rumor the 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 leak about 40 babies who had their heads chopped off, for instance, which even the Israelis are saying aren't true now, that Biden himself supported. The um the other propaganda that was that was put out that was said, you know, we we see there's that level of Islamophobia. I think that's that's the first thing. And we saw that with the propaganda. I think in addition to that, there are some people who are trying to take advantage of this moment to score political points. There, there are people who are doing that, and I don't know if their calculus uh, was right, if their calculations are right, but that's, that, that is the goal behind some people. And then there are other people who have uh, drank the Kool-Aid, so to speak, people who think that you know, Israel can do no harm, and that is a minority right now in the government. But unfortunately,
0: but the minority is, Biden who? is
1: part of that minority. The... Biden is part of that minority. Biden is an old Democrat who believes that Israel can do no harm. Uh, you've seen, um, everyone has seen his his statements where he says things like, oh, I'm a Zionist and we needed to create an Israel and things like that. There there was a report that came out a, a few weeks before this started that said that uh, President Biden will be the last pro-Israel Democratic president. Why? Because the majority of Democrats have been shifting away from that already. The old guard is, of course, still there, uh, and he's a part of that old guard. But I think those are the reasons why we're feeling this the way we are. I mean, the worst statements that are coming out aren't coming out from, from Republicans. They're coming out from the White House. The statements that are being made by, whether it be Biden or, or people on his team like, uh, like Kirby or, or Sullivan, those statements are disgusting.
0: And then there was, are, hi, there was Hillary Clinton today. I don't know if you if you saw what she said.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, of course, Hillary, um, Hillary obviously doesn't have a, a role with the administration. Uh, but the White House is making the, the most disgusting comments. And there are the old guard, which includes which includes Hillary, which includes other senators who are, who are trying to defend Israel as, as much as they can. But they are the minority, and unfortunately, it seems that they don't understand that.
0: You know, there was um, uh, a few weeks ago here in Istanbul, there was a conference that I attended. um, uh, And uh, at that conference, they had uh, Dalia Mugahed who was speaking. And Mm -hmm. one point that she made was very, very interesting. She said that currently, roughly 80% of the American populace supports uh, Israel, right? But... She said that from that population, the 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 age range from 18 to like 24 or 26, only 20 percent of them supported Israel, showcases that uh, what you just said, it bolsters that fact that the country is moving away from wanting to be involved in the affairs of Israel or even for that matter of a foreign country, what's going on where our taxes are going there. In the end, to, to harm and kill and maim other innocent people, specifically Palestinians.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I think I think in addition to that, that which you're you're mentioning, um, there was another poll that came out earlier this year from Gallup. Gallup said that a majority of Democratic voters are more sympathetic with the Palestinians than they are with the Israelis. A majority. This is the first time this has ever happened in the the history of them doing this polling. So we've seen that shift, that gradual shift going on and on. And we know that among Gen Z, among millennials, their their sympathies have always lied with the Palestinians. Their sympathies have always been with the Palestinians. So for for instance, Gen Z and, and millennials, not only amongst the Arab or the people of color uh, are those sympathies with the Palestinians, but also with Young Jewish Americans, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys have seen the amazing work that Jewish organizers have been doing in the past few weeks. I was there in Congress that day when uh, they held a protest within the halls of Congress, where over 300 Jewish uh, anti-Zionist protested calling for a ceasefire. Uh, over 300 people were arrested. And then we saw the other one just a few days ago um, in uh, in Washington, in uh, in, uh in New York City, uh, where multiple, um, multiple, uh, multiple people were arrested, and it was a huge demonstration with a lot of uh, a lot of media coverage there. Um, so we're seeing uh, amongst young young uh, people of color, young Jewish Americans, and now now even statistics proof. You know, many people might not know, but the the largest group of Zionists, the the most Zionist and pro-Israel group in the country, aren't Jews. They're evangelical Christians. Evangelical Christians are are the largest uh, group of people that support Israel in this country. Even amongst their youth now, there is a growing sympathy for the Palestinians. So we're seeing this change. This change has been building. And I think that maybe in the beginning of this situation, there was a lot of propaganda. There was a lot of fake information that was put out um, to demonize the Palestinians, to demonize um, to demonize the situation. But I believe within a week, the narrative started to shift. Within a week, people started to to brush off the hate and started to come out and, and, and speak up about Palestinians. And not it isn't just us, it's everyone. Everyone in our coalition, whether it's uh, young Black Americans, young Jewish Americans, all, all people of color have been coming out and speaking proudly uh, about what's going on. And I think... I think we're even seeing a shift amongst the political establishment. Just a few days ago, multiple multiple uh, former members of the Obama administration came out and started talking about how what Israel is doing is is not justified. Yeah, um, they, were, they said things like, "Oh, we condemned Hamas, but we can't let Israel keep doing this. What Israel is doing is wrong. We need a ceasefire." These are two former members of uh, the Obama administration who currently still have establishment roles. And we saw, we, we saw uh, amongst political staff members, right now, people who work within the Biden administration, who work at the State Department, Department of Defense, we're seeing people come out and openly speak out against what's going on. We saw a man resign from the State Department, a man who, in all honesty, his, his job was, if I'm not mistaken, his job was selling weapons to, to Israel. He was, he was the dude who was a part of that. And he was a part of the problem. He resigned because he was like, there, there's no room for discussion. They're not allowing anyone to say anything. We saw a political director or a policy director for a member of Congress, a progressive member of Congress, who resigned because the member of Congress wouldn't come out in support of a ceasefire. So we're seeing we're seeing the the um, a level of the political structure right now uh, openly revolt against what is going on in the Biden administration and their take. And this is going on all over. And the, and the Biden administration has been trying to hush it up as much as they want, but people are speaking out. People are being open. Uh, we're seeing open letters go to one went to Warren. Uh, Senator Warren, uh, former members of her uh, presidential campaign, I believe it was around 300, uh, 300 people uh, signed an open letter uh, telling her to call for a ceasefire. The same thing happened with with Bernie. Uh, Bernie, of course, everyone knows how successful his presidential campaign was and the movement he built. His people are calling him out, saying that he needs to call for it. Even uh, Senator Fetterman um,
0: Pennsylvania, from Pennsylvania, yeah
1: from Pennsylvania they called him out as well his former staff called him out as well telling him to call for a, a ceasefire so we're seeing we're seeing young democrats around the country from all sides of the political spectrum whether they are centrist dems or progressive dems are openly calling out their their party and their congressional reps and their senators and even the president calling for a ceasefire and i think that uh, I think that that pressure is being felt every other day. Every other day, a major news outlet is talking about how Biden has lost and the Democrats have lost the the support of the Muslim community. So I think that the pressure is starting to be felt by these people.
0: The, the other question I, I had, you mentioned uh, Bernie. And um, there was a bill that was recently introduced um, basically demonizing and criminalizing um, mainly members of like Students for Justice for Palestine for SJP and other folks as well who, um, you know, in the brackets of, I guess, hate speech or anti-Semitism uh, leading to um, potentially uh, bringing criminal charges against people or banning them who uh, partook in um, pro-Palestine activities. Bernie, if I'm correct, signed that bill as well. And that was very surprising by certain people. Now, on one end, we are talking about a shifting focus Um, from the establishment. But at the same time, we're looking at a potentially um, a a situation arising and worsening the situation for American Muslims and for Palestinians, uh, whether they're Christian or they're Muslim, um, wherein to even advocate on behalf of the Palestinians is becoming more and more criminalized. It's being more and more like, you know, they're, they're redefining the... The matrices of anti-Semitism, where even if you were to protest against Zionism, to protest against um, uh, against the occupation of the Palestinian people, and that's another point I hope to get into in a moment. But how is it that folks can still, I guess, have hope when they see that happening, and why is that happening, especially when we look at people like Bernie, right, who has openly advocated for the Palestinian cause, um, signing a document like that.
1: So I I think. I think with with regards to to that resolution, so specifically, it was a resolution. It isn't binding. I think that's that's the first thing to understand. So no one, uh, obviously, it's something to worry about, but that that won't be where the effect is is taking place against our community. Um, with regards to Bernie, I think it's important to understand Bernie is a liberal Zionist at the end of the day, and and that isn't going to change for him. Um, at the end of the day, uh, Bernie did a service uh, by openly talking about Palestine, bringing it to the forefront of the presidential elections in 2016 and in 2020. However, I think that it's it's important to understand that we, one, don't owe our loyalty to any political candidates, um, and two, that people can be wrong. And bernie is wrong for the way he's acting right now and it's not just about this it's also about his statements and the way he's acting and that's why his his former staff members uh uh made that open letter which was huge calling him out for for his reaction right now as of now he hasn't called for a ceasefire as of now he's calling for humanitarian aid which i think the best way i've heard it described humanitarian aid in this situation where israel is still bombing us that people are still being murdered is Neosporin on an amputation, so that's 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 the situation we're in now. However, I don't think Bernie is the only person. You know, I um, uh, in in the, um, the my protest, I protested the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. The Senate Foreign Relations Committee has multiple senators who have been openly critical of Israel in the past, and as of the day that I protested which was uh, October 18th if I if I'm remembering right um, none of them had said anything none of them had said anything since then their rhetoric has started to shift and there was a letter that um, that went out from uh, Senator Murphy and other members of the Senate uh, Senate Foreign Relations Committee uh, signed on as well uh, but Senator Murphy is uh, is, is, uh, is uh, one of the members of the Foreign Relations Committee and he's from uh, Connecticut. They sent out a letter where they openly said that we need to know what the plan is if you guys are taking our money. We need to know what's going on. And they were openly critical of the escalation. Now, of course, that's not enough. That's not enough. But that's where they've gotten to um, in the past few weeks. I think we've done a good job in pressuring these people. But of course, I think we need to double down our efforts. I think that it's it's very telling that there are members of the House who are calling for a ceasefire, but not as many as usually do. You know, in 2021, 2021, 138 members of Congress called for a ceasefire. Right now, we have 50. Multiple senators called for a ceasefire last time. The majority right now, not not one actually has called for a ceasefire yet. Not one has called for a ceasefire yet. So I think that's the situation we're we're currently in, and that's obviously we're seeing, we're seeing people outside of the political sphere talking, or people outside of uh, outside of Congress talking. But we need to make sure that our our elected officials are talking about this.
0: So um, I wanted to hop on to something else, which I like to call the stream of condemnation like before any Palestinian can even begin to find authenticity among other peoples who will believe them and listen to them and acknowledge them, there is this constant need to say uh, or ask, okay, before I even give you any humanity, do you condemn Hamas? Um, And I think a lot of folks, a lot of Muslims, a lot of people that support the Palestinians, they don't know how to respond to that. And um, at least from what I have told people, and I've heard this from Dalia Mugahad as well, um, is that uh, one thing to keep in mind is that um, people forget that Palestine has been under an occupation. And even if you were to say, fine, I condemn Hamas, they'll still not be uh, understanding the fact that that 8,000 innocent people were just killed. And everyone just keeps going back to October 7th but um, as somebody that is working in this space and is advocating on behalf of the Palestinians, how do we go around just not getting our narrative lost in this stream of condemnation?
1: I think it's, it's important to note, we talked about um, Islamophobia. I think, I think it's important to note that when people ask you to condemn groups that uh, they assume uh, everyone should be condemning and they assume that because you're Muslim, you wouldn't condemn them. That's Islamophobia. I think that's the first thing to understand that someone brings this up in a conversation, whether they're in the media, whether they are in a, a school setting, that, that's an Islamophobic remark for them to make. Uh, I think the, the other thing is, yeah, for a lot of people, uh, October 7th was the first day of history for them. They don't understand that Palestinians, or maybe they purposely ignore the fact, that Palestinians have been dealing with Israeli occupation for over 75 years now. You know, we're we're talking about genocide. We're talking about how many Palestinians have been murdered. 1948, 15,000 Palestinians were murdered by by the Israeli uh, soon-to-be Israeli army. Uh, they over 531 villages were depopulated, were ethnically cleansed by the Israelis, with the majority of of those who were forced to become refugees, uh, over seventy, uh, 750,000 people were forced to become refugees, uh, became internally displaced. You know, people who were forced into the West Bank or forced into Gaza, you know, we, we, we talk about the different stats in Gaza, 70% of the population of Gaza right now are people who became internally displaced refugees uh, who were forced to leave their homes, which are just miles away. From Gaza, just a few miles away from Gaza, so I think that those are those are things that people purposely forget. But you know what else they forget now? They forget that Gaza, which has been under military occupation for for decades now, which has been uh, under a a uh, inhumane blockade, inhumane blockade since 2000, 2007. Since 2007, they've been under blockade. What what does that mean? That means nothing gets in and out without the Israelis' approval. That means that the water there is unsafe for human consumption. 90% of the water in, in Gaza is unsafe for human consumption. That means that uh, when people are sick, when people need medical attention that can't be given to them in Gaza, they need permission from the Israelis to leave. They need permissions from Israelis to go to another hospital or just to leave their country. It means that um, when aid used to come into Gaza, it used to be around 2,000 trucks a day. That turned into 500 when the blockade started, which turned into 37 in the past few weeks. Um, Daily, they used to get that much. So when when we're talking about Gaza, Gaza is an open-air prison. It is one of the biggest human rights violations currently going on in the world. And, and people want to forget that in these conversations. People want to pretend that doesn't exist. You know, people want to want us to condemn Hamas. But what Israel is doing is what needs to be condemned. What Israel is doing cannot be supported by any country, by anyone who, who claims to support justice or claims to support, human rights at the end of the day what america is doing what america is supporting with israel is something that will leave a dark stain on on uh, on our history books in the in the decades and years to come
0: yeah and, and i think this is part and parcel of the greater conversation that's happening around this is that when we're using terms like occupation or we're using terms um you know like these these are legal terms that the un is using it's not just palestinians using this this is being used by 120 countries which is the entirety the majority of the world the 196 countries that uh, that are part of the un uh, 120 of them are using this word and they're indicating that um that this violence that is occurring Fine. You want a condemnation? Here you go. Right. And I, I've even said this to people. I, I, had somebody that like reached out to me, um, who, who was like, oh, how dare you support Hamas? Like I actually had shared a picture, um, of me in Palestine sitting in front of the Dome of the Rock, and you know, if anybody goes to Palestine, one of the things that's written all over, uh, Palestine is inna a'idun, like indeed we will return. And it's, it, it's, it's a term that's referring to the fact that the people that were kicked out during the Nakba, the people that became refugees, the majority of those people that are, that are in uh, Gaza, that may have been from the north, that may have been from akka that may have been from Ramallah, that may have been from Jerusalem, that indeed we will return to those places. And you hear things like, at least for me, this guy's like, oh, where is your Islam of peace? I'm like, look, man, the IDF is killing people over there. And I'm not asking you, where is your Judaism of peace? So this equivocation mm-hmm. that um, that 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 people are causing by saying that you know can you can you um, can you condemn it? it's a form of confusion because you're going away from the fact that this is not something that started on October seventh, right? You you want the condemnation of the killing of innocents? Yes, everyone will agree. Innocent people should not be killed. Non-combatants are not to be uh, reckoned with, but when A disproportionate response is then put forward by this government, which is interesting because if you look at like the times of Israel and stuff like that, they're the ones that are also sanctioning Netanyahu for what he's doing. Mm -hmm. But you know, um, uh, it's. I I think another another
1: important point, Nahal, is you know people people are show their true colors in situations like this. You know, people are upset about hostages, and, and rightfully so. Be upset about hostages but you know what else let's be upset about the uh, 1200 palestinians who are in israeli jails in administrative detention you know what you know what that means that means that these people are in jail right now for for no reason their lawyers don't know they don't know and they're they're just stuck in israeli prisons with no reason as to why they're there 1200 people let's be upset about palestinian children we mentioned uh, almost 3500 3,500 Palestinian children have been murdered. We, we we talk about you know sexual assault, rape. There are numerous human rights organizations that talk about how that is a, a tool, a weapon used by Israel, by Israeli soldiers against Palestinian children and against Palestinian men and women. When people are telling you that they are upset about something, when people are telling you that they're upset that this is going on, it's important to remind them that yeah this this has been going on let's condemn all of it if if you guys are only upset when it happens to one group of people and not upset when it happens to another that's that's not only shameful that's that's disturbing that's disturbing so i think that it's uh, when when going back to the earlier question when people want us to condemn I, I, i'll be honest with you i think the most important thing to condemn is the 75 years of occupation, oppression, and apartheid that Israel has been committing against the Palestinian people.
0: Yeah, the, the other thing that I actually wanted to bring up, um, I mentioned certain organizations at the beginning of this podcast. I mentioned um, Amnesty International, the UN, um, uh, the, what do you call it? The Constitutional Center for Civil Rights and whatnot. And you would think that these are like major organizations, you can't deny what they have to say, but you have orgs like the ADL, right? the Anti-Defamation League, uh, saying that uh, these organizations at a national level are um, some type of a cabal that are just trying to push forth anti-Semitism. I find it so interesting that um, on one end, again, Making, uh, making these comparisons to get us to think, to look at how these same organizations would be endorsed and promoted when, if they talked about Ukraine, but then they would be sanctioned and silenced if they spoke about Palestine. It's just interesting the, how that um, comparison comes out to be.
1: It's, um, I, I mean, I, I think the ADL has proved for, for decades now that they are not a reliable source uh, on, on anything justice related. Um, uh, just a few years ago, actually, there was a a large, diverse interfaith group of organizations who openly called out the the A.D.L. and they they ran the "Drop the A.D.L." campaign, uh, which which had m- dozens of of organizations uh, take part in it. So the A.D.L. has has proved themselves for a while. And and you know, when we talk about organizations like Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch and, and these organizations, I think it's important. It, it's very important to note. They're not pro palestinian orgs. They're not. Uh, and and they're, they're, they're international organizations that, in all honesty, when they write their reports, they talk about uh, war crimes that happened um, on both sides. They'll, you'll see in their reports, they also condemn Hamas. So they're not, they're not some organization that uh, is you know, strictly pro-palestine or something like that. They're a national uh, human rights, uh, they're an international human rights org that does this type of stuff. But what's interesting is that you even have Israeli organizations who openly call out what Israel is doing. You have groups like Betzalem, who who refers to Israel as an apartheid state. They say that Israel is is a country that's acting as an apartheid state, which isn't a, um, which isn't just some word uh, that we like to use. That's a that is a war crime. <laughs> they are they are accusing Israel of committing a war crime. Um, so I think that's those are those are things that we need to understand. And yes, the, the Israel lobby and and uh, their allies in the United States are are going to spend the next few months trying to paint everything as anti-Semitic. But I think that the facade is over. You know, everyone understands anti-Semitism is a is a horrible crime that has taken place against Jews around the world, specifically. Europe, specifically here in the United States. You know, we we've seen so many attacks, um, even recent ones in the past few years where we saw people attack um, attack synagogues and things like that here in the United States. Anti-Semitism is a huge problem here in the United States. And I, I think it's important that all of us in our community has done a very good job of standing against that. But many people now see that. Certain organizations, certain bad actors, as, as I would call them, want to weaponize anti-Semitism, to quiet our community, to quiet the, the, the justice community here in the United States, people who are openly trying to support Palestinian rights. And I think that the world, world is now seeing that, and, and many people understand it uh many scholars many politicians many people around the country now understand that and they they don't take the threats and the um the announcements of these organizations seriously anymore
0: yeah that's that's a really interesting way to put it the the other point that i did want to go into i think a lot of folks all throughout the world um feel very very sad about what's going on i don't think uh anything beats the um or or, or trumps what's happening amongst Palestinians throughout the world and what they feel. Um, But then people that are in that outer circle, such as other Muslims or other human beings that want to sympathize with the Palestinians, they don't know what to do because of the fact that um, everything that uh, you would think that somebody would do in the case of the oppressed and the oppressor, where you recognize who the oppressed are and who the oppressor is, um, people, kind of disappointed, Uh, a lot lot of people were disappointed by looking at what the global reaction would be. But for folks that are uh, in different places throughout the world or in the United States, what can they do? Does calling your congressman really help? Will that make a difference, especially if that congressman already has an agenda lined up for what his next five years or her next five years look like in office? I guess like what is it that people can do to help Palestinian uh, people, can they donate? Is is that the way to do it? But were aid's not getting in. Should they speak up? Like like, what is it that people can do? Because I think people feel helpless.
1: Yeah, I think um, I, I I know the sentiment. Obviously, you know, these past couple weeks have been really hard on all of us. It's been a really really hard time. But I think it's it's in these difficult times that you recognize what opportunities are in front of you. You know, I've been to so many communities, dozens of communities in the past few weeks, whether it be for for khutbas or workshops uh, or, or, or just halaqas. And I, I think that, I, I see this sense of, of helplessness. But I think that in, in these times is, is when we put our feelings to the side and we start working in every way we can. And I think the the first thing I'll say is everyone knows what their capacity is. Everyone knows what they're capable of. So I, I'm I'm going to say a few things today. Some people might be able to do more than what I'm saying today, but and if if you're able to do that, um, but the things I'm going to mention today, I think, are the most important things that we can do as a community. You know, people feel helpless right now, but um, I, I know other people have said this before. Well, Israel is trying so hard. They're spending millions of dollars on social media just to put propaganda to suppress what our grassroots movement has done. Right now, so many people are talking about Palestine. And it's it's becoming a popular thing, whether it's on Twitter or whatever it's called now, or, or Instagram or, or
0: Facebook. Twitter, formerly known as X. Or sorry, X formerly uh, known as Twitter, right? That's what it was.
1: Formerly, formerly known as Twitter. Um, you know, they're spending millions of dollars. They're meeting with the executives of this company just to counter the Facebook posts or the Instagram posts we're putting up. The random story that you didn't think mattered. Um, you the know, the we, shadow banning, right?
0: It's just like you're the, seeing... The shadow
1: banning is crazy. The shadow banning is crazy right now.
0: Like, I remember on my um, stories, like, I am i don't have a zillion followers, but, like, I remember I just put up a few things, and stories that usually get, like, 500 views got, like, 20 views. And then I put up a picture of me, like, eating ice cream or something, and suddenly, like, oh, now all the Palestine, f- like, posts got uh, unblocked or something.
1: <laughs> it's, uh, on, on Twitter, man, I'm, 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 I'm sorry, on, uh, on oh, what's it called again? On, on X and on uh, on TikTok, I'm struggling. You know, my videos that that used to get thousands of views are are getting uh, 20 or 16 within an hour. Um, so I, yeah, the shadow banning is is crazy. And then uh, you have the Israel lobby, which spends millions of dollars to affect the politicians who are changing their minds based on like calls were made. So I think it's important this in this moment that even if you don't think you can see the effect of what you're doing, to understand it has an effect. I think the first thing that I'll say and the most important thing that I can say is right now is the time for political advocacy. Right now is the time to be talking to your Congress people. Right now is your time to be talking to your senators. Now, now, why do I say that? It's that the White House will only feel pressure to change based on uh how the rest of the forms of government whether it be the senate or congress how they change so if we start getting senators start openly speaking out in support of a ceasefire that changes their plans that t- changes their considerations
0: so do you think, so think that, that if, if muslims thing. in america right now got their act together and mosques, for example or churches started saying we need to Get onto this uh, senator or this representative, whoever represents my district that's sitting in D.C. That will make a difference. You're saying?
1: I I definitely think it'll make a difference. And and here's why I'm I'm saying that. Right now there there have um, there have been uh, there are three examples of how Israel responds to uh, American requests Um, when. when the 37 or however many trucks went into Gaza, uh, Israeli media started questioning uh, the Israeli Defense Minister, Kalan. They asked him, why did you allow uh, aid to get into Gaza after you said you wouldn't allow it to go? And he said that this was a special request from the Americans and we are in no position to say no to them. That, that's example one that happened just a few weeks ago. Uh, this, weekend, this weekend, we saw communications cut in Gaza. If I'm not mistaken, this weekend we saw that. Um, a, rep- uh, a, a uh, An article came out just, just last night that said that uh, the reason why communication has been going back up in Gaza, which which uh, many of us see it's been going back up. All the people we follow on Instagram and uh, Al-Jazeera and them are, are able to to go live now and things like that because communications went back up. They said that the reason why that came back up is because the Americans pressured the Israelis to do it.
0: But what does that, Amer- that what does that translate into? The Americans pressured them. Is that because Elon Musk wants to put a satellite, or is that because people picked up their phones and said that we don't want this?
1: This is this is because the American government, and I, I think specifically the Biden administration, uh, expressed concern and said, "Yeah, we're not going to allow you to do." It. And I think the best example of of American pressure, uh, and and what I mean by American pressure, is what happened in 2021. In 2021, there was a, a book that came out earlier this year, and there was an excerpt from it talking about Biden's re, uh, response to uh, the 2021 attack on Gaza. Um, and it said that Biden the day the day that the the ceasefire was announced, Biden called up Netanyahu and he told him. Uh, it's over. This ends today. By the end of that phone call, the ceasefire negotiations were uh, uh, were held and uh, there was an agreement. That shows to me, and I hope it shows to everyone else, that if America wanted to in this moment, if they wanted to, they could end the attack on Chizna. They, If the Americans wanted to and they were to Uh, force the Israelis to to stop, they could. The unfortunate part is that right now, the Americans have a weird policy, specifically Biden, where he doesn't openly talk about what he's talking to the Israelis about, and he's he's not openly critical of his allies and things like that, which is why we're seeing the disgusting comments that are coming out from him. Right now, Biden doesn't feel pressured uh, to end the ceasefire. Or if he is feeling the pressure, he's not feeling it enough. It's our responsibility to stop that. And Biden isn't the only powerful person. Many of us live in states where our members of Congress or our senators are very influential. I'll I'll give you an example. If you live in New Jersey, um, Senator Cory Booker is on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Senator Cory Booker has not called for a ceasefire yet. New Jersey has the largest percentage of Palestinians in the country. It's shameful that he hasn't done it yet. It's up to us to make him do it. It's up to us. If you live in Virginia, if you live in Maryland, your senators are also on the Foreign Relations Committee. Um, And in in communities around the country, whether it's Chicago, our senators, our congresspeople are our leaders um, in Congress and in the Senate. So we need to first I think this is a wake-up call for many people. Figure out who your representatives are. Figure out who your, your senators are. And reach out to them. Call them. We're, we're hearing from some offices, they're getting 400 calls a day from our community. Wow. 400 calls a day. Imagine they're getting it beat in, uh, beat into their their notebooks that bad, that this many people are reaching out. But also, it's about going in person, going to their offices and talking about what our concerns are. So I think that's that's the first thing I'll say. And it's, it's, it's easy to say, oh, it doesn't work, but the effects are there. And, and we see that the American government has the power to stop this. You know, a lot of people, Nahal, want to talk about, oh, well, the Muslim countries aren't doing anything. Muslim countries also respond to the United States. So I think it's important for, for people in the U.S. specifically to understand that their first obligation, their first course of action is to reach out to your elected officials. Um, the second thing I will say is to be educated and educate those around you. There was a stat that came out in the hall a few, uh, uh, a few years ago. Uh, in this report, it said that the more Americans learn about Israel, the less they like it. The more Americans learn about Israel, the more they start becoming sympathetic with the Palestinians Because no person can see the harm, occupation, oppression, apartheid That Palestinians are dealing with And think, you know what, I'm side with the oppressor No one can do that At the end of the day, we, we have this sense We believe that everyone has this level of fitra Where we, people understand what's good and what's, what's, uh, what's, what's bad So people understand, people will be sympathetic but it's up to us to educate those who are around us, educate our friends, educate our colleagues. You know, none of my friends—I don't have a single friend, whether Muslim or not Muslim—who isn't pro-Palestine, who isn't doing their part. It's up to us to make sure that our friends, our contacts, our colleagues, are are, are on the same um, on the same page as us. And I think that that educating ourselves right now, because many of us might not know. Exactly what's going on. And there are tools out there, and I'll recommend anyone who wants to learn more about what's going on, go onto our website, ampalestine.org. Learn more about what's going on. We have a lot of resources over there, uh, f- ways for you to take action. Go onto our website and learn more about what's going on. And I think the the last thing I'll say I think that, um, you know, we, um, and, and this is a mix of both think the most important thing that we should be thinking about right now is how does how how engaged should I be politically moving forward and that's educating yourself about the issues that's educating yourself about the candidates you know there are elections coming up next year there are primaries coming up next year now is the time to reach out to those candidates now is the time to reach out to people and start questioning them about the things you care about because at the end of the day these people are going to be elected we need to make sure that we have a relationship with these people i think the the situation we're in showed us that you know although there are a lot of politically active muslims that that activeness hasn't translated to power yet hasn't translated to um uh, hasn't translated to what we want it to be yet. i think now is the time for us even as as individuals to start thinking to ourselves how can I be more effective in this fear? Because many of us might think, okay, politics are wrong, politics are bad, it's disgusting. But when we talk about when we talk about the the American government, it's important to understand we live in the most powerful country in the world. Our country can literally change when, when our country changes its its opinion or moves away from an issue, it changes the issue especially when we're giving $3.8 billion a year to support that issue. If we focused as a community to stop aid from the U.S. to Israel, the situation would change. The situation would change. And a lot of us might not understand that yet, but I hope by the educating you do for yourself and by listening to this session, that you guys are able to not only understand this and comprehend it, but are able to act on it.
0: You know, there's something that you mentioned about, um, you know, specifically with Muslims in America and a lot of our masajid. If you were to actually kind of look at how a lot of our masajid, and, and obviously Palestine is not just an issue for Muslims because there's still a, a significant chunk of, of Palestinians who may not adhere to a faith or who may be Christian, but specifically um, for Muslims in America that want to support Palestine, um, either Masajid are like very, very politically active or it's just like we don't want to touch that with a stick. And I think people forget that, um, this is actually a scholar, his name is Salman Sayyid, he's a professor of Islamic studies in Leeds in in the UK. He was speaking about this idea of depoliticization. So many times people will say, at least within the Muslim community that, oh, we don't want um, politics to be involved. As if assuming that um, politics is not part and parcel of the daily affairs of the Muslim community or any human being. But he actually mentioned how this, this, the, this, this, the specific depoliticization of Islam and of the beliefs of Islam actually is a barrier to then decolonization. Like the decolonization of one's thoughts because there is no political aspect left into it. So now if we're going to talk about Palestine, you want to talk about decolonization and an occupation of a colonial nature. And you want to use Islam to not talk about that. You're not understanding your faith even at a core level. And then he also mentioned how that depoliticization leads into um, understandings of the faith that become more literal, that become more uh, entrenched in actually being disconnected from what people are are going through and then it fails to understand the human condition and the condition of uh, Muslims and their suffering and then finally he mentioned that depoliticization of Islam in this sense um, and of its issues transforms those problems that may be structural, so for example, the structural suffering of Palestinians under an occupation, into nothing more than a biographical sketch, like once upon a time there was this thing, and and now you just have a story. You don't actually have an active political reality, and I think um, this we've come very far from I think like the two thousand one era where any talk of uh, political activism amongst Muslims was often met with very violent repercussions by like the FBI, by the CIA, by law enforcement. For whatever reason, I think people have backed away from that form of persecution against Americans uh, that are Muslim. And I think people need to take advantage of the fact that you can very much so be politically active in a manner that will make a difference and is rooted in your core beliefs based on where you are and what you're doing.
1: I I agree. I also think that there has been a push uh, specifically to get our imams, our shiuch, our scholars out of politics, specifically in the United States. And I think that um, there was a concerted effort in the past few years to keep them out by bringing up issues that we might not agree with, or, or that Muslims might not agree with morally, and things like that. But the truth is, it's important that that our scholars specifically, Get involved in this work, educate themselves and get involved in this work uh, and help guide their communities. I don't think, you know, a lot of people have been reaching out to me talking about like national initiatives and stuff like that. I think now is not the time for a national initiative. Now is the time for our local communities to work locally and to hold our local people accountable. Talk to your governor, talk to your mayor, talk to your council members. Um, your congressional representatives, your senators, if you focus on that, if Muslims were to focus on that in in areas where we have major uh, uh, Muslim communities, whether it be New Jersey, Chicago, uh, Dearborn, uh, California, if we were to focus on that, that would be a game changer for our community. And I think now is the time to think about you know that there's there's a phrase that a lot of people like using. It's uh, uh, think globally, act locally. I think there is no better time to bring that phrase up than now. Let's yeah. let's think about how can we affect our local community. And a lot of communities are doing it. I know in in areas like New Jersey and, and other uh, other Muslim uh, Muslim populated areas, they're inviting their mayors to the masajid. They're educating them about Palestine. That's how you start. That's how you get the ball rolling. And I think that when our community understands that we need to get this ball rolling and we can't afford to be on the sidelines anymore, we'll we'll start seeing the change we want. And it's, it's not just for Palestine. Of course, Palestine is what we're here for today. But obviously, at the end of the day, uh, our brothers and sisters around the world need our community here in the United States to step up. They need us to defend them wherever they are. Uh, starting with Palestine and everywhere else, inshallah.
0: Inshallah. And I think also, um, just kind of mentioning as, as an endpoint, a- as a non-Palestinian, right, uh, as somebody that um, actually comes from, uh, my family's from India, right? We have to also understand what occupation looks like in a culture that we may not be, in a culture that we may be familiar with. So, like in the case of India, you have the occupation of Kashmir. It's the most militarized place on the face of this earth. And for those of you that are listening or watching that are not Palestinian, I know for me, one of the the things that hit me really hard was finding out about our local Imam Sheikh Mohammed Qatanani, who lost fifteen members of his family at the hands of a Israeli defense force, uh, you know, airstrike, which 15 people died, four were children, and guess what? None were Hamas, right? And and I think that it's, that really hit home because we often hear about this as something, a struggle happening in a different land, or somebody may join up in wanting to support the Palestinians because of the fact that other people are doing it, which is good to do. But I just wanted to personally share that I f- just felt terrible to, to hear that. And we know for those of us that know Sheikh qatani like the the hell he's been through um, for the last like fifteen years of his life, of having his citizenship almost taken away from having been deported, from having been tortured by the IDF. Like like people don't know these stories, and I think it's important to also talk to local people that are Palestinians. For those of you that are involved in this space, um, I'll say this very bluntly: Do not, for those of you that are influencers, for influencers, for those of you that are students, do not. Um, Uh, appropriate the struggle of the Palestinians as your own, work with them and center their narrative, not your narrative of them. And I think that's very important going forward uh, if you want to help um, teach others about the struggle of the Palestinians and about what's going on at the hands of the Israeli Defense Force and their government.
1: Definitely, definitely. And I'll, I'll, um, I'll say this. I know that a lot of us feel like right now the, the work we're doing uh, might be in vain. You know, Nahal mentioned um, our sheikh in Jersey. Uh, also on, on our team, we have two Ghazawi staff members, both have lost multiple family members in this situation, in, in this current onslaught. And I know right now a lot of us might feel that there's not much we can do. Uh, but I had a friend remind me earlier, um, earlier when, when, when this all began, the first ayah of, of Surat Al Isra, you know, the first ayah of Surat Al Isra, where it talks about how our Prophet وسلم, uh, uh made the uh, migration. He went from uh, Mecca to Jerusalem, and it talks about how blessed the land of Al Aqsa is, how blessed the land of Palestine is. And how does the ayah end? In Al Basir. When talking about Allah, it says that indeed. Allah is the all-hearing, the all-seeing. It's in moments like these that I I remind myself and I remind you all that Allah hears every du'a we are making. He hears every time we call, every time we speak out uh, about what's going on to the Palestinian people, Allah hears us. And every action we take or don't take, Allah sees what we are doing. We ask Allah to accept from us and to bless our efforts and to grant justice to our brothers and sisters.
0: I mean, and Muhammad, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that?
1: Um, If anyone uh, would like to reach out, you guys could um, uh, reach out to me on on social media, um, search me up, or you guys could reach go on to ampalestine.org and send an email to our email address right there, and you guys would be able to reach out to us,
0: inshallah. Thank you so much. This has been an episode of Faith in Fine Print with Muhammad Habba and myself, Nihal Khan. Hopefully, see you all very soon. Take care and Assalamu alaikum.